Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as the February Room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. In late January, I had tickets to go to the fly fishing film tour with a few of my fishy friends. We had tickets for the early show because of two reasons. One, I can't stay up past nine o'clock. And two, my husband's flight was canceled and had to return home at a reasonable hour for the babysitter. As my friends and I finally sat in our seats, we began watching some incredible fishing films, but it wasn't until the showing of The Phoenix left me laughing, crying, and inspired. As soon as I got done watching the film, I returned home and reached out to the star of the film to join me on the podcast. Thankfully, she said yes. Welcome to the podcast, Katie Fiedler Anderson, guide outfitter of Anderson's Fish Camp in Vail, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Man, and when I say I was so excited um, getting done with that film because, and we'll go into it because it was so inspiring. It hit a lot of, um, I connected so much in your life journey, not that I'm a guide outfitter, but as a mother and somebody who's in the outdoor industry, um, it hit a lot of chords. So I can't wait to dive into the film and learn more about you and your um, outfitting in Vail, Colorado. And also um, the fact that you do some tarpon fly fishing is very exciting to me as well. But let's let's dive into a fishing story. Um, sure. So, gosh, 
So anyone who's a guide has probably a million fishing stories. Um, I'll tell you one that I tell often is people want to know, like, what's the biggest trout I ever caught? And my response is, is I can tell you about the biggest trout I never caught um, because that's <laughs> the one I dwell on like a lot. Uh, but one time we were up at the Taylor, which is a tailwater fishery. So just massive fish. Um, I did a little research and actually the, the Colorado state record trout was caught in this tailwater. So I was super excited. Um, it was right after ski season. So it was snowing sideways. It was freezing every single day we were there. Um, so I was there with Cooper, who's my husband, and then um, Nate and Nate. So two guide friends of ours. And we were all just kind of fishing on our own, doing our own thing, trying to figure it out. And this one, like, I swear, every fish in the tailor is big. And then this one, like, Godzilla fish just cruises by me and it has, like, this giant eye. And I swear it looked right at me. And I was like, oh my God. Um, so I get my rod and I cast at this fish. And this fish was some kind of angry, hungry, like, it wanted my flies all of a sudden. And it just, like, attacked him. And I was like, oh, and this fish out of the water, my line, I had gloves on with the little, like the little mitten flaps, my line wrapped around one of the mitten flaps. And I'm like, oh no, no. And my hands are so cold. I just can't move fast. And I ended up like the fish just broke off. And I was like, man, that really sucks. My friend Nate, um, just so happened to be watching this whole scene go down because he saw the fish jump. And he comes just sprinting over. And if, if you fish with us, you kind of know, like, we all love each other, but there's no love lost if somebody's trying to catch a big fish. So he comes sprinting over and he's like, where did that fish go? And I'm like, it's over there because you could just see this thing. And he, I'm just frantically trying to re-rig and I'm so cold that it's just not going fast. So I'm just doing it. I told Nate where the fish was and I, he goes and he makes two casts. He hooks the fish. And the fish jumps out of the water twice. We're hooting and hollering. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then it breaks his line also. Um, so we go over to Cooper and we're like, Cooper, we just saw like literally Godzilla and we're just walking up and down the bank trying to find this fish because there's really at this point, no other fish worth catching. And we ended up not catching it that day. And we go back the next day and it's again snowing sideways super cold and we're just looking for this fish so we're like if you fish a tailor it's not like a like the part where you catch the big fish isn't massive so we're walking up and down the banks where you know no one else is there which is pretty rare but it again it was the weather was awful so of course no one else was there and I decide, I'm like, okay, this is human torture. I'm going into the car and I'm going to take like a hot drink break. Like I'm freezing. So I'm sitting in the car and then Cooper comes up and he has two broken rigs in his hand and he sets them on the car on the hood. And I'm just looking through the window and I'm like, you know, I'm saying some curse words and I'm like that mf -er, I can't believe this that like that cannot be true and I know these rigs because I know what my rig looks like and I know what Nate's rig looks like because we're all fishing kind of different stuff and I open the window and I'm just like did you catch that fish he's like yeah you want to see a picture of it 
And of course it had my rig and Nate's rig like trailing it out of its mouth. Um, and yeah, Cooper got it. So then he's like featured in like fly fishing magazines and they do an article about this massive fish that he caught. It was 32 inches, beautiful fish. They got a picture, they measured it. It was amazing. But so that's my favorite story about the largest fish that Cooper caught and I didn't. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, it's crazy is that when you said you always remember the fish that you never caught, it just reminded me of a book, A River Runs Through It. He's like, as anglers, we always remember the fish we never caught and rather than the ones that you, you do catch. And what an amazing, is it pretty normal for fish to get that big over in Colorado? No, no. That was a pretty massive <laughs> uh, rainbow trout. I'm like I I missed I missed something when I was well you know I grew up in Colorado Springs but I I didn't get into fly fishing obviously until I came up to Montana and now that I'm into fly fishing it's funny when you think about all the the opportunities I missed out because I mean we went to go to Vail was kind of the place to go skiing I never in my mind thought I need to go to Vail and go um go fishing so um beautiful beautiful background Vail is gorgeous yeah and there's really it's funny because there'll be times where I'm like oh this is like a little too close to like a building where we're fishing. And then I get my clients there and I just do it anyway. Cause I'm like, well, the fishing's good. So priority number one is fishing. And they're always like, Oh, it's so beautiful here. And this is amazing. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like screw that building. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I'm having a really hard time cause we're in this inversion and I probably, everyone's probably like Lauren talks so much about the weather I do talk about the weather because it's really hard because sometimes people are like oh you live in such a beautiful state I'm like yeah but we do not get enough sunshine we have like 139 days of sunshine and I in Colorado Colorado Springs you know it's like 333 days of sunshine so um sometimes I have to remember like remember the good things when you're like okay I like these mountains we have three you know rivers that come like I have three rivers access within 15 minutes and that's pretty great. But sometimes you have to remember the good things to, to get through the crummy weather around here. Yeah. You can still complain. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. I will. I will still continue to, to complain about the weather. Um, well, Katie, let's talk about the Phoenix. Can you give a little bit synopsis for people who maybe haven't watched or didn't get tickets to go to the fly fishing film tour about, um, about this film? Sure. So Phoenix is a film about uh, my journey uh, as a fly fishing guide and um, becoming a mother simultaneously. So my daughter's name is Phoenix. So that's why we titled the film Phoenix. And it just talks about, um, you know, kind of my path in this industry. Uh, you know, and there's some funny parts, there's some touching parts but I think if you're just a parent in general um not necessarily just a mother like you kind of understand some of the struggles that it is to have a child and some of the ways that it changes you as a human being um yeah so that's absolutely my story. it is you know my husband and I talk about this um a lot is I feel that being a parent is the hardest job ever um, you are always constantly kind of debating whether the job that you're doing is the right job for them. Um, are you spending enough time? Are you making enough money to help them do the things that they want to do? 
Um, and when I was watching that film, um, what I loved about um, with your relationship with Phoenix is, you know, you want to be this role model. Like she's looking up to you all the time. I read an article, this was a while ago, that young girls are more likely to participate in the outdoors if they have another female role model who is mm-hmm. participating in it. And um, I feel that Odessa, that's my daughter, has pushed me to become even explore waters, explore elk hunting and um, to push myself because I want her to be like, you know what, if I want to do these things, I know somebody who does it as a role model. And I feel that that relationship with you and Phoenix is the same thing because in that entire film, she really is looking up to you and following in your footsteps, like on the water when we guys are all waiting, I just like started to tear up because it's like, she really is just wanting to be. And even in your guys's website, you say like who we are. And it's like, there's Phoenix. You can book in 20, what is it? Like 20, like 2032 or something something like that. (laughs) Yeah. When she's 18, she's like, you gotta be 18 to guide in Colorado. So. (laughs) So when you created this film, did you know that that what you guys were, what the story was already going to be or did it kind of just form as you were like, oh, let's just talk about us. Or did you go into it with the idea like this would be about parenting and raising um, a kid and how she influences your future path? Um, so when the Breaker Brothers approached me about making a film, um, they kind of just wanted to know if A, I would be into filming and B, if I had any stories to tell and we sat down and talked and I was like, man, I have so many stories. And I'm like, the one that's just kind of fresh on my mind is like, I just started my own business and this industry has kind of, um, chewed me up a little bit. And I am, I don't want to say fighting. I don't want to make it sound aggressive, but I'm just trying to find my way. Um, so I think that was the story that we landed on. And then my like adamant request to them is I was like, this cannot be negative. Like this can't be a woe is me film about me being a victim. Uh, and I told them that like very specifically, I'm like, I am not a victim. I don't feel like a victim. And I want to make it very clear that, you know, I'm making my own choices here and I'm not just a product of somebody's opinion of me or uh, anything like that. But but we but they do also discuss a little bit in the film about, you know, after having a kid, how you really struggled with going to the shops or being oh, yeah. a guide and this schedule, because that's the thing that's the hardest as being a parent is, like I said, trying to figure out schedules. And I'm also amazed because both you and your husband are guides. And I'm like, how are you guys, how are you guys doing that? <laughs> like, how are you guys managing that schedule? Right. It's a miracle. Um, <laughs> I honestly don't know, but I think, you know, the same advice I tell every parent is I'm like, you'll figure it out. Uh, if you really want it, you'll figure it out. So yeah, it's, um, that's what we decided. So if you don't know about the Breaker Brothers, they're really cool. And they like to make films about like environmental issues and sustainable change. And so the issue of like women in fly fishing and, and kind of the the underlying story there is it's kind of a hot topic right now, um, you know, like it or not. So it's it's this push of getting more 
culture and diversity in fishing. And I think the, the man woman thing is, you know, right at the front of that. So, um, it was, it was pretty easy to come up with the topic and then, yeah, diving into it, you know, a lot of things just unfold naturally. Like we were hoping Phoenix would say some of her like favorite one-liners and she was completely just like, give me my ice cream and leave me alone kind of vibe. So (laughs) (laughs) you're like, turn it on. I swear. These are the things that she says. And these are the, you know, you'll be like that parent, like normally she says this, this, and this. We're like, yeah, sure. You're like, no, really? Yeah. She was great in the film though. I mean, the bond that she has, um, with you is, uh, you can absolutely see it on film. So, I don't know, as parents, as somebody who was on the other side, I was like, oh my gosh, this family is so beautiful and, you know, inspiring. And, you know, it's not easy to try new things. I mean, that is so hard. Like, it's easy to kind of maybe have somebody who tells you what this, what your schedule is going to be. I have a guide on this day. And so what was the biggest leap going from guiding for other people to starting your own outfitting business? Um, if, if you want the real answer, this is maybe an unpopular opinion. Maybe it's not. I think if you're a guide, you understand it, but answering the phone. Um, Ah. so my biggest issue with guiding, um, for other people, you know, one of my biggest issues besides equal treatment and whatever is that, so I've been doing this at that, when we started our own business, I had been guiding for 12 years. So at that point, I was maxed out on payroll. So they give you a percentage of every trip that you guide. And I was never going to get any more. And believe me, I asked. So I was never going to raise my percentage because I had hit that ceiling. And I was never going to be able to work harder than seven days a week. So I was already working seven days a week, all summer long, all guide season long. I was, you know, giving up my ability to hold a year round full-time stable job with benefits because of my desire to guide in the summertime and be a guide and be in this industry. So I'm, I was looking at it from the perspective of like, I've hit this ceiling and if I don't do something differently, then I'm, never going to go anywhere. Like I'm just going to be here for the rest of my life and I'm going to be working seven days a week. I'm never going to make any more money. Like that's just it. So that was really the biggest push for me is that I wasn't going to just wait around for like, you know, the, the guys that were above me on the roster to, to fall out because that's not productive either. Cause even if I was the number one spot, I was at another ceiling. So to, it's just, I, I had to do something differently. And then the, if you do guide, um, you know, when you're getting really salty in August after working really hard all summer long, you're like, man, all the shop does for me is answer the phone. Like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the biggest thing. Like, I'm like, all I do is answer the phone. You know what? I can answer my own phone. I can like, I have my clients who are amazing and I love my clients and they, they refer business to me and they're loyal to me and they want to fish with me. And, you know, at the end of the day, like that's, I'm generating my business by just being myself and catching fish with people and knowing my river. So I'm just, I'm giving away like a ton of money for someone to just answer the phone and hold a permit. And that, 
just didn't, it never sat well with me. And I think having my kid was the big push for me to be like, okay, yeah, you need to make more money and we need to do something differently. And, and probably not work seven days a week. Yeah. Working seven days a week is pretty brutal. So oh, yeah. <laughs> even if it is a half day wait, like it's still seven days a week where your brain is on. Well, and the other thing is you just, um, I don't know if this happened to you, but I've had obviously guides on this podcast and you can get yourself burned out pretty quickly doing seven days a week and then come August and then you're, then you're not wanting to go on the water, right? Like when you have your time off, you're like, okay, I want to do something that has nothing to do with the water, which is, you know, when you're like, I love this sport, but am I starting to despise that it's become more of a job than actually, you know, the reason why you do it is because you love it. Yeah, so I was trying to find that balance. Yeah, balance is really important, um, especially when you have a kid. At least for me, the balance was challenged a lot more with the kid because I have this like feeling inside where like I'm like I just need to be with my kid and I need to be spending time with my kid and she's growing so fast and it's like this, you know, if you're a parent, you kind of understand that it's this pull where you're like I just need to be a parent. Like, I need time to just be a parent. And I'm not talking about a parent while I'm at work. I'm talking about a parent that is just sitting on a chair watching my kid play dolls. Or I need to be a parent that is walking outside with my kid. Like, it's just simple things, but I need to, like, see her and be around her. So, yeah, the seven-day-a-week thing is challenging. Um, And these first, you know, four or five years before they're in school is also you know, it's fleeting. So. Yeah. I mean, as my mom likes to tell me the days, some of the days are long, but the years are short and I could not, I mean, I feel like it was just yesterday that Sawyer was a baby and now he's, you know, in first grade and Odessa's going into kindergarten. And I'm like, gosh, where does the time go by? And I really like you have to make sure I'm being present in the in the times that we all get to hang out together as a family. And a lot of those times are going camping and being on the water. Odessa loves fishing. It is Aww. so much fun. I mean, she'll we have our cabin in Wisconsin and, you know, I'd wake up in the morning. She's like, Mom, let's go grab our rods and go fishing. And, you know, she has tactical because she's not quite there in the fly fishing, uh, want to go fly fishing, which, you know, I think the idea is that you want them to catch fish and fly fishing at age almost five, you know, they aren't going to catch too many fish on the fly rod, but she loves it. And it's so exciting to see, um, that genuine interest at such a young age. Like, you know, you see these human beings that were just babies and now they're like growing up and they're showing their things that they enjoy and they like and you can see that phoenix loves the outdoors yeah and that's a big thing like i just want her to be able to hold on to things that are real um and so that's that's what i'm trying to just impart on her i'm like it's not about the toys and like competing like who has the better toy and what friend group it's i'm like it's about like the relationships and the time you spend and Spending time outside, I think all of us in this industry can agree, is just like, it's just where it's at. Like, it's the thing. It's the vibe. Whether it's fly fishing or spin fishing or, you know, riding bikes or whatever it is, it's that's the wholesome quality time. Absolutely. Katie, how did you grow up? Did you grow up fly fishing at an early age? What was your fly fishing journey? What was your fly no. fishing journey like? <laughs> um, my fly fishing journey is 
yeah, I didn't touch a fly rod until I was probably 19. Um, so I grew up in St. Louis and um, city vibes. And then, you know, you can go a little bit out um, and there's kind of some country, if you will. We call it country. Uh, so my dad would take us like, what do we catch? Like bass, crappie, and catfish. I really loved catching catfish because I was obsessed with cats. And to me, those two really went together. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, just picture like my dad as a kid. Like, I, he would put candy in my little tackle box so that I would, you know, be involved. So he brought food, the right food. And then he would just let me pick out whatever, you know, super sparkly hot pink thing to tie on my rod. So he had, he had the right bait, if you will. And then he would let me do literally whatever I wanted. So it was just like, I loved it because I was never told no. And there were times when my hot pink sparkle, whatever, caught fish and his didn't and I would just feel so good about myself I'm like dad I'm doing this <laughs> <laughs> like let me show you how to do this so it's kind of funny like the dynamic probably hasn't changed because I still feel really good about myself when my flies work but um yeah I didn't start fly fishing until um after high school uh, I I left St. Louis and I drove to Maine and I started working at a Pat Patagonia outlet. And there they had a, like a field day for all the staff. And we learned how to cast a fly rod from one of the other people that worked at that shop. And, you know, it was just kind of a, a passing moment. And then I went to go work on a river in Maine as a video boater. And I was basically living in my van on the river, which is funny. <laughs> And Saturday was, Night Live skit on that one. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's my that's my life. It's not a joke. That's real. <laughs> it was cooler to live in a van then. Um, it was yeah. just for the now summer. you can't even afford to live down in a van down by the river. It's too expensive. Oh my gosh! Yeah, now these vans are insane. But my standards were really they were nice and low, so I was fine. Oh, um, but there was a cabin which was basically like four walls and a mattress on the floor. And they, I, I was upgraded after I had worked there my first year. And they're like, you can have this cabin and sleep in here. And I was like, awesome. And in the corner of that cabin was a fly rod. Like somebody just left their fly rod. And this fly rod was probably the cheapest. I mean, it was probably bought at a gas station. Like it was the cheapest, <laughs> crappiest fly rod you can imagine. And it had fly line, like literally... Um, overhand knotted onto the reel. Like there was no backing, there was no, like it was just fly line knotted onto the reel, strung through the guides, and that was it. And I bought, I went to Barry's General Store, which was the gas station slash general store where I was staying, and I bought some flies and, you know, probably way too thick of a leader. And I, again, double overhanded knotted these things onto my rod and I was like let's go and I got my friends in the afternoon I'd be like let's go fishing come on guys let's go we, we can definitely catch something like I had spent time in my kayak so I knew like where the fish were kind of hanging out in the river 
Um, and that's just what we did. We went and had fun, and I think we caught like one or two like baby fish for the whole summer. And we went, you know, frequently. So <laughs> <laughs> the ones that didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, like these are these are like the mercy fish for sure. Um, yeah. And we, we beat this fly right up. I mean, I just wish I had a video of myself. Like, you know, it's back when I thought I needed to cast like a thousand feet. And I just really, like half the time my fly wasn't even in the water. I was just like, look at this. I'm casting. This is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> a river runs through it needs to film me right now. I'm going to give some Brad Pitt some, some pointers. Yeah. Yeah. Brad, <laughs> who's Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt what? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's so true. I mean, I look back at when I first started fly fishing and the same thing. I, you know, when Justin would be like, mend, mend, and I'd be like, ah, and I like mend it over and then I'd like cast it back out. And um, one of another guy that was fishing with us that that day, I still remember, he's like, now do remember that the only way fish are going to ever eat your fly is if, if the flies on the water and I was like oh okay like because I just like give it a few minutes and you know if anyone gave me instructions like mending or upward mend and roll cast I would think oh I need to keep moving like I guess I thought it was a sport that you just kind of kept casting and you'd mend and then you'd bring it back up and then you'd cast again and um yeah Yeah. it'd be fun to have like a video of those original (laughs) fly fishing days I mean heck yeah that's part of the fun of it is that you're just trying to figure it out and it's funny and it's comical and there you know there is no highlight reel because it's all just a hot mess and that's just the beauty of it and I think I was really lucky in the sense that I didn't have anyone there to really like make me feel any kind of way because all my friends were just <laughs> as bad as you know they were like raft guides and uh kayakers and just this mishmash of people and it, there was just no a semblance of like anyone feeling like they were good or better it was just like oh this is hilarious let's keep trying I love that but so you guys are you're in Maine how did you make your way to Colorado uh so after guide season, I think it was my second um, season working on the river, I was really over Maine winters. And a few of my friends were like, hey, we go to Colorado in the winter and just work at a ski resort. They're like, do you want to come? And, you know, I'm 19 and I'm like, sure, that sounds great. So we loaded up the van and went to Colorado. And that's how I made it to Colorado. So I worked at Beaver Creek Mountain. Uh, My first job out here, I was a ticket scanner, which was like on a scale of one to 10, it was like a negative five on jobs (laughs) you want. (laughs) So even even at 19, I was like, they don't pay me enough to care about this job. Like, this is awful. (laughs) Did you ski or snowboard? But you did get free, free tickets, right? Yeah, and it was at a time in my life where I was like, you know, lucky if I could afford uh, my meal at the grocery store. So, um, yeah, we got free, free lift pass and we got to snowboard a little bit like on the job, which was good. Um, so yeah, we but did let's that. just be honest, call her, I mean, Vail Beaver Creek is not a cheap place to bum it. Oh no, but we were living like, <laughs> well, there's probably like eight of us in a condo. Um, oh gosh! Like I, we were renting out our couch and our closet um, to, <laughs> to some people, so <laughs> it 
<laughs> it was just, it was a scene and I was happy to be a part of it. I was really proud of myself at that point in my life. I'm like, this is awesome. Um, yeah. And isn't it now you're like, oh my gosh, I could never have roommates ever. I think about that. I'm like, oh, I need my space. Right now I'm trying to t- convince my husband to get another bathroom. Like I cannot share a bathroom with all these kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I never want another roommate again. Slash I'm going to have children and I'm never going to sleep <laughs> in my bed alone ever again, ever. And the life. bathroom door just always opens wide open. You're just like, oh my gosh, why this is my, my I have no personal space whatsoever. <laughs> so then you're, um, you're a lift ticket person. And then were you just like, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to make more money. And just fly fishing just came on your doorstep. Well, I think I, um, so this might be too long or too much of a story, but when I was ticket scanning, because I cared so much about that job, um, my friends and I, my friend Nell, especially, we would like look at all these guys coming through the lift line. And one day I said to her, I said, Nell, I'm like, I'm going to pick this hot guy right here. And I'm like, you need to find your own hot guy. And how about we only scan their tickets? Like if they come through the line, like I only scan this guy's ticket. So like you need to call me over if he comes through your line because he's really cute. So she picked a guy. I picked a guy. And <laughs> I every, love this. every time and this guy, you know, was Cooper. So he's now my husband. But every time this hot guy would come through, you know, Nell would be like, Katie. And I would run over through the line, you know, through the crowds of people. And I'd be like, hey, and beep, beep, scan his ticket. And then I'd run back because my supervisor would be like, Fiedler, get back into your line. You know, and I'm like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so we, you do that enough times. And all of a sudden, Cooper was like, hey, do you want to, like, take some laps together or, like, you know, hang out and, you know, I'm just like, sure. He's like, it's fate that we keep, he's like, it's fate that we just keep running into each other like this. Yeah. I think one of his friends was like, dude, that girl is like literally running over here to scan you. Cause his friends, he'd be skiing with his friends and I wouldn't scan any of them. I'd be like, oh, you guys are good. And I would just scan his ticket. (laughs) And I'd be like looking at his little pass picture and be like, oh no, he's so cute. Um, sometimes you know it can be a little bit deceiving you can see like a, I mean the fact that he turned out to be a really good looking guy because sometimes with all that ski gear you're like yeah oh, is this person with the goggles is it is it the outfit is it the snowboard that makes him good looking right but yeah it's good that it, could, it turned out to be good yeah he had a nice bottom half of his face and then the top half of his face was good too <laughs> once I got to see it <laughs> so, um but anyway so I was hanging out with Cooper all winter long and it came to be summertime. Um, and I was like thinking, you know, I could go back to Maine and do some video boating because I really loved that job. Um, but Cooper was like, why don't you stay here? And he's like, you can live in my condo. And I'm like, eh, you know, that's kind of sketchy, <laughs> but sure. That sounds great. I'm 19. Who cares? <laughs> So I I moved in with Cooper and I started working for a rafting company out here and I'm watching Cooper and Cooper was a fly fishing guide. So that was his job. And I'm watching him go to work every day and he's taking me fishing and he's like 
wildly better than I am. And I'm like, wow, this guy is like something like this is cool. And after like a couple summers of that, I looked at him and I was like, can you give me a job guiding? Because I want to do what you're doing. And so that's how it really happened. Um, I was just watching him and after fishing with him a bunch of times, I really just felt like that was my next pivot is I wanted to do fly fishing. What was his initial reaction when you asked him to be a fishing guide? Um, sure. He goes, sure. Yeah. I'll set up a meeting with, um, Conda, who was the the shop manager. He's like, I'll set up a meeting with Conda and you'll have to like interview and, and get a job. He's like, but he's, there's, he said, there's no reason you can't do it. And wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's just, I think I'm lucky in so many ways. Cause that's just who Cooper is. Um, he would never like say I couldn't do something. And that's part of the reason why I liked him. Like my qualification for dating a guy back then was like, if they said I was crazy one time, I just dumped him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> you're like crazy my ass. Here yes. you go. Bye. Like, if they said anything about me being crazy, like if they're like, Oh, you go kayaking, that's crazy. Like the next day they would be single. So, um, I love that though. Like no time for bullshit. Yeah. So when I told him I wanted to be a fishing guide, he didn't say, Oh, that's crazy. He was like, sure. Like, that sounds great. Um, and then I met with Conda and Conda was like, well, if Cooper agrees to mentor you, then fine, I'll hire you because he, you know, you kind of need someone to kind of show you, show you the path a little bit. And how did the mentoring go with Cooper? Was it easy or, cause I mean, I feel Justin has definitely been my mentor when it can't, when it comes to fly fishing. Um, and it's, it's a love and hate relationship at the same time. Like I love it that he has the amount, the amount of uh, knowledge and he's really patient with me. But then there's some times where I'm like, I got this, you know, like there's definitely some breaking, breaking moments. Um, yeah, I think it works for us. Um, I think Cooper was really smart in a lot of ways where he was just like, he would show me a lot of things and I learned a lot from him, but he would also say, you know, you have a trip tomorrow and he would start asking me questions versus telling me what to do. He'd be like, where are you going to fish? And I would tell him and he'd say, okay, where's your backup spot in case uh, so-and-so is there because they like to fish that spot too. And so I'd be like, well, I didn't think about that. So then I would think of a backup spot and then he'd say, what are you going to rig your rod with? And he'd be like, did you test that? So I would go out and test it, um, you know, in the evening and then make sure that that was the fly that was going to work for the next day because I didn't have the experience to just like be like, oh, it's, you know, it's August. I'm going to tie whatever X, Y, Z on. So he was really smart in just saying um, questions versus being like, like you're not doing it or you need to do this. Um, it was more just like, how are you going to do it? And I would say, well, I don't know. Can you help me figure it out? And then he would help me. Or I would be like, well, let me try to figure it out on my own. And I would go do the homework. And I feel like sometimes the biggest way that the, the way that I learn is sometimes just going on my own and testing it myself other than having someone else be like, you know, telling me, telling me their experience is putting myself out there on my own and feeling the rod or just deciding what flies I'm testing out and like, Oh, that worked, you know, rather right. than have someone always telling me what to do. That's me. I like to 
kind of experience it on my own rather than have someone always like kind of feeding me the information. Yeah. Well, and that's how you come up with like new ideas too. Um, I think if it was just Cooper feeding me what flies to use all the time, it would be not as successful. But the fact that we have two people looking at the water and reading the water, um, it's, it's more like we definitely have an advantage because we share all of the information with each other. So if I like, we laugh about this, but there was one summer where I was adamant that the sparkle wing RS2 was the, the hot fly, but you had to cut sparkle wing. You had to cut it down a little bit because I think that year they just tied them too long or whatever it was. So we ordered this batch and I'm like, these sparkle wigs are too long. And so I, <laughs> I, I had like, I had Cooper and, and myself and our um, father-in-law we're all we're all like out fishing and we're all cutting the the sparkle wings off the RS too because I was just adamant that like that quarter, like that centimeter or whatever it was, um, just had to go. It had to go, and that's why this fly was working better is because you had to cut the wing off. So it's there's stuff like that that if like you weren't out there thinking for yourself that it would never we would never be cutting the wings off of RS twos. So there. And, and was it really, and did it really work better? Like, did you test it yes. right? Yes. See, this is the truth. Yes. I, I swear by it to this day. I mean, <laughs> I really think I it was love that it, though. batch. It was that batch of RS2s. It just had, like, the wings were too long. Or the sparkle butt or whatever it was. You know what I'm talking about, those two sparkles. Yes. Yeah, the kind of wing, yeah. Yeah. It was just, they were too long. Like, and I would fish with them and I would think to myself, like, man, these are long. And so I just started cutting them one day and I started just whacking fish. And ever since then, I was like, okay, this whole batch of RS2 has got to be cut. And so I spread the word to my team and we started cutting it. <laughs> are you still cutting the wings? No, they, they're fine now. <laughs> okay, perfect. perfect. I'm glad you write a write a letter. You're like, listen, I'm spending way too much time cutting off these wings. Um, yeah, what did right. what did Cooper what did Cooper think when you're like, hey, let's do our own um, outfitting business? Um, do you feel like that gradually came um, organically, or did you guys both just come to the conclusion like, you know what, we're both capable people, and we need to start creating new schedules because of Phoenix? Yeah, I think what really happened that just like pushed us off the cliff is when I had Phoenix, um, the response that I got at the shop was not positive. Um, I could never get them to put in writing that I would be able to get my spot back uh, on the roster after I, you know, came back from having a child, which, you know, does take time away. So, you know, even though I had their verbal word, when I came back to the shop after having Phoenix, um, I was not met with the same level of respect. And there was like the shop manager looked me in the face and was just like, I don't think I'm going to give you your spot back on the roster. Uh, he's like a lot of the other guides don't think that I should because they want your spot because they weren't gone for a summer. And yeah, my, my thought exactly. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's so awful. And yeah. so, and you know, this particular manager, 
I applaud him in some sense because he was honest. Like he was telling me exactly what was going through his mind. Um, and he was also like, you know, in his twenties, very little experience running a shop or being in the fly fishing industry. So I don't think he really understood the gravity of what he was saying to someone who had dedicated, um, their career to this. So I just kind of took it for what it was. And I went to Cooper and I was like, okay, like you're coming with me and we're doing this because like neither one of us, they're not going to get either one of us. If they don't, if they're not going to treat me like as a senior guide with the same level of, of respect as they treat you, I'm like, we're not doing it. And so that was really like the shove off the cliff because we had always talked about starting our own business and that was kind of the like, nah, okay, this it's time. Like we can't, we can't keep talking about this. We have to execute. And probably people were thinking, what is Katie thinking? She just had a baby. Now she's starting her own outfitting business. Like what are, you know, I think um, when I had first had my son and I was be uh, freelance video editing, I didn't tell anyone when my son was born because I didn't want people to think, I couldn't finish projects. Right. And I remember the next day I had given I had given birth to my son and I wrote an email. They had some changes to a show and they said, can you please give these changes by tomorrow? And I just responded, yes. And so the next day, I think I gave my mom, she was here, I gave my mom, my son, and I went downstairs and I worked and I just didn't want anyone to think I couldn't do it after having a kid and looking back at it, right. That's probably me being a little bit, I don't know, strong headed, like pretending I didn't have a baby. Cause I didn't want anyone to think I couldn't do work. Cause I didn't want to lose my respect in the editing field. But then I grew so much guilt from that. You know, I think that's the thing that I didn't realize as being a parent is the amount of guilt. And also people, when they did find out I had a kid, I did notice a change in editing jobs that came my way. And half the time I create this podcast every Tuesday is to show everybody that I'm gonna keep creating content and it's my content and um, you get to listen to whatever I say. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I I will challenge you and I will say that I don't think you're um, strong-headed. I think you are working out of a place of fear. And, yeah, that is actually so true. So much fear. And I don't think it's a a negative mark against you or your personality in any way. I think it's just the reality is that there is a lot of fear as a woman that holds a career um, that the kid or the process of having a child of, of give, like between being pregnant, giving birth, and then taking care of your newborn um, – will take away from your career. And I, there is a fear there. And I, you know, it's, it's, um, I think it's hard to talk about because we don't want to seem like we're like negative or dwelling on it. But I think once you have that kid, you understand like, Oh, this is actually, this is scary and this is real. And the problems that surround giving birth and, all parenting in our country are they're real and it, they kind of hit you in the face when you have that first kid. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when I watched Phoenix is because um, talking about like that fear of 
realizing that I had a kid and I didn't want to lose my job um, was something that I've never heard anyone else talk about. And um, especially as we've talked in the outdoor industry, um, I don't think there's a lot of there's a lot of fear for women losing respect. And I worked um, in an outdoor industry where I think there was two females and all men, you know, and it's like I wanted to always be one of the guy and I could keep working as hard as everybody else and I'll work weekends and, you know, but I'm also still this nice person. And we both kind of talked as we get older, um, you kind of start to be like, this isn't, that was crazy. Like I should have just said, you know, screw you. Yeah. And um, that's that's why I was like, this movie list hit me in such the best places because I'm like, that is... We just need to talk about it sometimes because these other females need to think that, hey, when you have a kid, it's not a death sentence to your career. Right. And there, I think it's important to show that there are paths around it. Um, but at the end of the day, they all generate fear. And even starting my own business, even though that was a path, um, man, that was scary. And of there was course. a lot of fear involved and it's a, you know, I'm just reacting to, to fear in some regards by like, okay, I don't think I can stay in this job because they're not going to, you know, give me the respect I deserve. And so I'm scared there, but if I weigh out the options, you know, I'm going to take the chance on starting my own business, which is also scary and generates a lot of fear, but it's, the better of the two kind of thing. So um, there's a there's definitely that aspect. And now that you've done it for a little bit longer, do you feel like that fear is starting to kind of go lower? Because you're like, oh, wow, we still have so much support from our our clients and other people and referrals. Do you think that fear starts to get a little bit less or is it still there? Um, it's I think it gets a little bit less. I think, you know, proof of concept. Right. So. Before, it was just an idea that I thought I could do it. Um, I thought I could get enough permits was like a big fear uh, is getting the permits required in Colorado to be able to guide commercially. Um, and that's where these shops have a lot of leverage is because they hold permits. Um, and then once I started, you know, doing it, and that's where I talk about getting pushed off a cliff. Then it just becomes proof of concept. And I'm like, oh, I could still work seven days a week more, probably more if I wanted to. And um, I've done it for a few years in a row now. So like, I know this can can be sustainable. Um, it's just, it's different, right? Like there's still things that I'm like, oh God, how am I going to do this next step? But at the end of the day, um, I, I have built a lot of confidence, which as someone who has like put themselves in a leadership position in this industry, it's hard to just outright be like, heck yeah, I'm awesome. Um, <laughs> because Which I think you are awesome. Because, well, I, you are awesome. <laughs> there's, like there's imposter syndrome right around every corner. I'm like, I don't know. Am I like, is this legit? And, but after doing it so many times, I'm like, okay, I can do this. This is a thing. Um, I don't know where my next pivot is per se, but for now I'm just trying to like ride the wave of like, okay, 
this is working and I'm in the industry. So I'm following a path that I want to be on, even though I don't know where that path is leading me yet. I'm like in the dark woods section. (laughs) (laughs) I always think I'm like, at this point in my life, I'll have it figured out. And I get there. I'm like, well, you know, maybe when I'm retired, everything, everything came together. Um, When you watched the show, Katie, when it was all said and done, what was your initial reaction to it? For the film, um, so I think I so I loved it, and I thought one of the coolest things is that I have these memories with Phoenix, and this is such a fun stage in her life, and her just her little voice on the film. I was like, oh my god, she's so cute. Little voices are the best. Yeah, I'm like that's my baby saying mommy to me. I'm like that's so cool. Um, so stuff like that was really cool, and it hit me in the feels. But there was definitely like a lot of editing and um, different versions of the film. So it was kind of like this gradual build up to the final release, to like the final product. And I'm just, I'm proud of the film and I'm proud of the way that it came out. And I, I think I was nervous that it wasn't going to come across the right way and like deliver the message clearly. But I think that's where the Breaker Brothers just really understood the message and they delivered. So their editing was like out of the park and they, they so, crushed it. So great. And I loved this. I mean, all of the films at the film tour were so great because honestly, I've been to some of the film tours in the past. I think this is the first one I've been. Or did I go to not last year because of COVID, but sometimes it can feel a bit bro bra, like we're going to do here and do some music videos of fly fishing and we're going to party till our part, you know, like I've always <laughs> felt like the fly fishing film tour was just a music fest of catches and releases with some crazy music. And this film tour was so awesome. I thought everyone had such great storytelling because that's really what fly fishing is. It's kind of like your journey into fly fishing and the adventures and Um, I mean, it's great to have those great music videos and everybody loves to see people catching fish. Um, But it was I thought this the whole film tour was so great this year. The lineup was amazing. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, There's so much creativity coming down the pipeline. And I think, you know, given when I started guiding, there was like there was not even Facebook at that time. (laughs) <laughs> and so watching kind of this evolution of, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, small clips, YouTube clips, videos, yeah. long format videos, how-to videos, and then these like 10-minute film tour videos. Like, it's really cool that our industry can fit into this and be so fun. Like, it's just fun. Yes, it really is. And that's how I, I left the film tour. I was like, that was so much fun. Um, I mean, on top of and kind of going back to the very beginning, I was like, talked about you being the you get the invite only for the women's tarpon fly fishing tournament in the Florida Keys. That is amazing. Um, that's like my most fun of my like of the year. <laughs> Every year I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to go tarpon fishing. Um, well, and there was those tarpon films too. I was like, oh my gosh, I am going to Costa Rica. I am going tarpon girl. fishing. Yes, yes. You need to. It's like, 
it's hard to explain, but my favorite thing. So Heidi Newt brought back the, the ladies tarpon tournament. Um, I think it was like in 2014 and I had been going down to the keys every year. I mean, we lived down in the keys one summer just to like experience more fishing. Um, and I, I had met Heidi and so she knew that I was, you know, a, a fanatic for fly fishing and especially for tarpon. So she invited me into this tournament and it really changed my life in a lot of ways because walking into a room filled with like-minded women is like one of the highlights of my life. Like I have met some so of the empowering. coolest, yeah, just the coolest ladies. Um, some of my dearest friends now I met at this tournament and you just know, like when you come back to the dock after a day, a long day of tarpon fishing and you can look at these ladies who are just sweaty and have been through it and like share the stories and like process it and like feel the emotions. Like I'm like, okay, you get it. I love you. You're amazing. Grateful for Heidi for like kind of breathing the life back into it. Um, and I'm grateful for all the women that, that show up and just really like go for it. Like these are just cool women. And, um, I think there's Chandra who's running it now and she's kind of, putting the life into it and she finds all the sponsors and puts all the events together and it's just you know helps people like pair with guides and I have a like an amazing guide and I think that when you start tarpon fishing you realize it's a it's a team sport so I go out with uh Jeremy Fisher Captain Jeremy and we just we have a good time and we work really hard and we want to win and it's just like it's the most fun it pushes you to like really want to be take your like fishing to the next level, which I'm grateful for. So have you uh, been able to stand on the podium? So the, yeah, the first year I got, I think I tied for third place the first year. Um, and then I didn't do, I fished two other years. I was pregnant one year and then I um, was, um, I had a hurt knee and I just had a baby the second year. And so then it was COVID and, and those are my excuses and I'm sticking to them. Uh, those are, those are legit <laughs> excuses. <laughs> and then it was COVID. So I didn't go down on the COVID year because I, w I just wasn't sure um, with like investing all this money, if it was, if it was going to get like stripped away with COVID. So I'm going back down this year and I'm, super excited and I'm fishing what, with Jeremy. What time of the year does it, what time of the year does it take place? Uh, it's mid June. So tarpon season starts kind of, I'd say like end of April, kind of, we start to get that migration and then going into May and June is kind of the thick of it. That's when a lot of the tarpon tournaments happen down in the Keys. Um, so it's so this just tournament's a fun coming time. up for you. Yeah, it's coming up. We got the, we have the weight on the pulley hooked up to the steps and we're practicing maximum pressure and we're ready to go. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Is, uh, will you take the whole family yeah, with you? Yep. So we're, again, I say that I'm lucky a lot, but I am lucky, but Cooper's dad, um, lives down in Florida. He, Cooper's dad is a huge fly fishing 
person. So he lives down in the Keys and we go down there every spring and, you know, spend around a month down there. So um, the whole family comes. And I think if I didn't bring the whole family, then as as it was put to me, I'm out of the will. So I might as well just do that. <laughs> well, it takes a village, though. And I mean, you got to have some good connections. We, Justin, um, has some connections in the Florida Keys and we're always like, hey, you guys need some friends down there to go fishing. And so we keep pushing our buttons. But that is awesome. And I think it's just a good way for Phoenix to kind of just see exactly, you know, what their family, what her whole family loves to do. And then when she sees it, she loves it, too. So I think it's just awesome over all all around. Yeah, that's her her number one claim to fame. If you talk to her, she's like people are like, "What kind of fish do you catch?" And she goes, "I caught a shark out of the ocean once." So that's <laughs> that's her claim to fame in her eyes. So she loves Florida. Um, I told her we were going to Florida this year, and she went upstairs immediately and started packing. So there's a pile of clothes in her oh, room, um, just sitting in a clo- in a, just, in a suitcase. Yeah, ready for Florida. It's March, and we're going in June, but she's ready. So, <laughs> man, I think we're all I think we're all ready for some good spring weather. Um, well, Katie, I can't thank you enough. If people are wanting to learn more about uh, the Anderson's Fish Camp um, or maybe wanting to book, what's the best way for them to follow you? Um, so you can follow um, Anderson's Fish Camp on Instagram or my personal Instagram, which is Katie Feebler Anderson on Instagram. And then we have a website, andersonsfishcamp.com, and that has all the information on the trips we offer and how to book and that kind of thing. And you can start booking your trips with Phoenix for 2030. Yeah. I mean, listen, if I if I didn't get the family discount, I'd be booking her because she, she's going to know all the secrets. <laughs> Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.